Welcome to the latest experts in the field podcast from Foot Anstead's Farms, Estates and Rural Land Team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights into rural developments and current affairs. I'm Edward Venmore, head of the team. We're pleased to bring you this episode, which is one of a number where in the previous series and in this, we consider succession planning and the family dynamics we come across with our clients. Today, I'm again joined by Rachel Brooks and Caroline Featherby to discuss lasting powers of attorney. Listeners may remember Rachel and Caroline joined us in the previous series for discussion about deputyships. In this occasion, we're going to talk about how you can avoid finding yourself in that situation for a family member. Rachel is a partner at Foot Anstey in the private wealth team who advises clients on tax and estate planning with particular specialism in rural and landed estates. Caroline is an associate in our mental capacity team. Caroline specialises in court protection work, which includes making deputyship applications and, of course, putting in place lasting powers of attorney. Welcome to both of you and thank you again for your time. This is a theme I often uh, speak to clients about and I'm pleased to say I actually took my own advice about doing one of these a few months ago and actually got on and uh, did a lasting power of attorney. But Rachel, can I ask you first, what is a lasting power of attorney? So it's a document whereby you are able to appoint another person or other people to act in your affairs at a time when you're unable to do it yourself. So it can cover situations where you may have onset of some form of dementia and you lose capacity that way. Or it can be as simple as you've just gone on holiday for six months and need somebody to manage things whilst you're away. There are two forms and the majority of the time it's the financial form that is dealt with. But you can also have a power of attorney which deals with your health and welfare issues as well. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a second, a bit more detail. Sometimes I often hear about clients ask me about enduring powers of attorney, and there's a bit of confusion mm. between the two terminology. Caroline, can I ask you to sort of explain yeah, the difference? So they, they used to be an enduring power of attorney, and then when the Mental Capacity Act 2005 came into force, that's when we got the lasting powers of attorney. So they replaced the EPAs, but existing EPAs are still valid. So the slight difference with an EPA and an LPA is that with an EPA, you can use it as soon as it's signed and then you only need to get it registered if and when that person loses capacity or if there is um, a concern that they might be losing capacity say if they've been diagnosed with dementia or something like that. With a lasting power of attorney you can't use the document you can sign it and put it in a drawer if that's what you wish to do but you can't use it until it has been registered with the office of the public guardian but if you've got an existing EPA and you're happy with those attorneys then that's fine, that it still works perfectly well. Yeah. But I think you do have to be aware that if at any point a person, the individual is looking like they may be losing their capacity, then the document does need to be registered. So whilst it is effective immediately, there is another step to take if the individual is or is becoming incapable of managing their affairs. And the process for registering a new power of attorney? So it gets sent off to the Office of the Public Guardian. There's a fee, which I think currently is about £82 per lasting power of attorney. So if you had one for property and finance and one for health and welfare, that would be two charges. And then they send it back to you with a stamp on it and then it's registered then and it can be used. Okay. Returning back to lasting power of attorney, Rachel, you mentioned the two types of LPA that can be put in place. The first one, the main one we're really talking about today is always around financial decisions. But can you just briefly talk about the health and care uh, LPA that people can enter into? Yeah, so the health and welfare one does pretty much what it says is it enables somebody else to deal with your affairs to make decisions about perhaps whether you have an operation, consent to operations, that sort of thing. It does though only come into effect if you have lost your 
capacity to make that decision yourself. The other important thing that has in the document is the decision about end of life decision making. And you can distinguish whether you wish somebody to make the decision to agree to end of life treatment or not, but they could still have the other powers to deal with the care decisions. So that's very important for people to understand whether they actually want to give the attorney the decision uh, to make that decision of end of life, which can be quite a difficult decision for somebody to have to make. Of course. And I would imagine that if people are doing powers of attorney, they, if they're going to do both the financial one and the health and welfare one, they probably do them at the same time. Mm. I think you're right in saying you can have different people mm. to act as attorney well, under each, yeah, can't you? Yeah. So you can have different people for health yeah. and welfare and de- different people for mm. your financial affairs. You can't. People don't necessarily make them at the same time. Often what I've tended to find is that clients will make the financial one much earlier in their life and the health and welfare one much later in their life because those decisions are becoming perhaps much more important to them. That's not the it's not a generalization that people often will look to the health and welfare as they get older. Mm. Okay. Uh, Karen, who can make an LPA? So any anyone over the age of 18 can make an LPA as long as you have capacity to make an LPA. And there is a test set out in the Mental Capacity Act that someone must go through to make sure that they have capacity to make the lasting power of attorney. In most circumstances, it's, it's fairly well known and fairly certain that person does have capacity where you have people who might be slightly older might have had a diagnosis of dementia or something like that and capacity might be dwindling then we'd need to get a capacity assessment done by either an independent capacity assessor or GPs can do them social workers can do them as well just to confirm that person has capacity to make the lasting power of attorney on that day. Obviously that really reiterates the importance of people having these in the drawer, mm. having done them, etc., having got them registered as before those Absolutely. sorts of issues arise. We advise people to do them sort of hand in hand with your wills, which again is, I suppose, younger people and people in their 20s might not think it's important to put these things in place. I've had an LPA since I was, as you would understand, since I started working in mental capacity law, which was when I was in my 20s. I've had one since quite a young age, but yeah, it's really rare actually for people of a young age to have them in place but I think it's really important Absolutely. even if I've talked about yeah. it yeah, I've talked about doing it myself for years and I finally things, got around to it? doing On what I said <laughs> every Christmas yeah I think that's right and I think that particularly the younger you are the chance of suffering some form of dementia is going to be much more remote however you could suffer an accident you could be in a car crash you could suffer a brain injury and those are likely to be the more common situations which would render Mm. a younger person to do them I was once when I was training it was described to me they should be rainy day documents that you do them when you fully understand all about them and they go away get tucked away and they're there when Mm, you need them but you should keep them under review Mm -hmm. because people do fall out with their attorneys and the last thing you then want is you've got the wrong person who's about to manage your affairs but yes the earlier you think about it the better yeah like a lot of documents you and those sorts of things you keep under review like your will your partnership agreements etc because because circumstances change and the people in your life Mm. can obviously sadly change absolutely Um, Rachel can you perhaps talk about what's involved in making an LPA So you can actually make them yourself by going directly to the website for the Office of the Public Guardian. However, where we get involved is where people do want us to take them through it and to discuss it with them. But there is a a set form that needs to be completed and it needs to be completed in a particular order as well. The OPG are very hot Mm. on making sure that all the relevant sections are dated in the correct order. So you make it signed up by yourself and by all the relevant attorneys and then it would be sent to 
the Office of the Public Guardian for registration. They will take three months for part of the registration process to hold on to it. So it can take a while for them to come back. So this again is why it's sensible to think about them in advance because when you need them, you'll want to have it already registered. And presumably it actually has to be registered and not in the process that the it's actually got to be you've got yeah, to have it does need the be registered before you can rely on it. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the ask if there's an alternative if you don't have an LPA in place. What happens if you don't? Well, because most people don't have one. No, exactly. And if capacity is then lost, then the only route is a deputy ship, which obviously we, we have already spoken about. But that would be your only route if you needed to make a decision for someone who had already lost capacity and there was no LPA in place. Or you could go to the court for a sort of one-off decision if it was if a deputy ship wasn't, if a full deputy ship wasn't required. We'll include a link in the description to our previous mm. podcast episode where we talked about deputy ships. But just for those people on this on this episode, uh, Karen, can you just very briefly explain what a deputy so ship is? So a deputy ship is? is for where someone has already lost capacity and decisions need to be made about their, their finances or their health and welfare. And so the Court of Protection will then appoint someone called a deputy who will make decisions on their behalf. In reality, a deputy and attorney on the ground work in very similar ways but they're appointed very differently and they are then regulated and supervised very differently as well and going through the process of getting a deputy is a much more expensive yes much process, more onerous, expensive long all of yeah. all of it and even before covid yeah and even before covid would take long <laughs> yeah take a long time yeah to go it would, as absolutely. Well, which, is, which is why it's so important i think we touched on this but can I ask Rachel, why might it be beneficial to put an LP in place now as opposed to relying on a deficit? I think we've already picked up on some of these themes, but... Yeah, firstly, it's much cheaper to your estate overall, but it gives you some certainty and choice. So you choose who you want to deal with your affairs at a point when you're unable to do rather than with the deputy ship, you leave it to whoever decides to apply or alternatively could be a a professional which is fine but quite anonymous to you and wouldn't know necessarily your personal circumstances so it just gives you that certainty that you've done it and and it's who you want to do it more importantly yeah and it's a great sense of control because you do yeah. know exactly who's who yes. you're asking to to do that uh, yeah. just in terms of the uh, the fees for those listening obviously these things can change the fee for an lpa registration i think is 82 pounds and but the application to the court protection to appoint a deputy is i think over 300 pounds almost 400 pounds isn't it but then there's all the other fees that obviously would cost which go with it which obviously means it's a very inexpensive way of protecting yourself against that yeah absolutely can i can i ask any reasons why you find when you have conversations with people doing wills there's any reason why people hesitate doing the power of attorney do you know what i've had some people hesitate because they've We've gone through the whole process of why an LPA is really important and why it's advisable to put one in place. Very easy, inexpensive, all those sorts of things. And then we get down to, okay, let's talk about attorneys. Who would you like to be your attorneys? And they go through various people in their life. And then they come down and then we talk about the registration of it. And they say, oh, well, so they can use it as soon as it's registered. And I said, well, yes, they can. But what if they take all my money? And my answer is, don't appointment them as attorney then if you think that is what they might do. So I think then people get a bit twitchy about having this document in a drawer where someone could potentially wander in, pick it up, walk into a bank and withdraw their life savings, which in reality, if you've chosen the right deputy, that won't happen, attorney, sorry, that won't happen but people get a bit 
concerned about that. And I think it's also, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I suppose as well with wills, we all know that's where we're going to end up. We all know that our estate will need to be dealt with at some point. The planning for the eventuality of a possible brain injury or dementia, a lot of people, particularly young people actually, oh, I'm invincible, I'm only 20, that's not going to happen to me for another 60 years. And it feels too far ahead or something that may never happen, which is true, it might never happen. But yeah, so I think that's another reason why people maybe are a bit reluctant. I think that's right. It is a control issue, definitely, because people are still alive and their affairs will be dealt with by somebody else. One of the common issues is where somebody has several children, some of whom Mm. might be suitable and some who might not. And the tension that that may well put within the family if they appoint some but not others. And that can be quite a difficult decision for them to make and will often maybe stop them from doing it because they don't want to upset any of them. However, you can appoint in substitution. So for example, you can appoint your spouse at the first level and then you can appoint others to act if that individual contacts for any reason. It is it, it can be a difficult decision, but ultimately at the end of the day, the person making the power of attorney must trust their attorney implicitly to make that right decision. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A- absolutely, yeah. It's, it's a deeply personal thing, really, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. Can I ask you uh, both, perhaps, what would be your sort of takeaways, top tips for farming families planning for the future? That's a slightly wider question than just around LPAs, but perhaps Rachel first, what would be your top tips for planning for the future? I think is to obviously get one prepared and get it in place. One of the things to think about is to make sure that there is provision made within the document for discretionary fund management. If you happen to have a portfolio, which is with a discretionary manager, or even if you don't, because there's a chance that might happen in the future, it's to think about things that you might need it for in the future. There was historically under the enduring powers of attorney, often restrictions and conditions would be put into the documents. And I can honestly say every time I saw those conditions, that would be the one thing that we would be wanting desperately to do and were prevented from doing with the document. So keep it open, but do take advice to make sure you're including the right other bits in there. Caroline, is there anything you... Just choose attorneys carefully and so that then you can register the document. You don't, hopefully, will never have to redo it to change those attorneys. Really do think, like Rachel said, about appointing replacement attorneys as well. I think that's a really useful part of the process. And yeah, so use the documents to its sort of widest widths, if you like, and use it to to your best advantage to get as much out of it as possible. And yeah, just to make sure you've got one in place and tell all your friends (laughs) 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 to do the same. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, thank you both again for your time. Really, really helpful chat that through. Once again, in this episode, we've returned to the theme of planning for the future and having discussions in the family and taking advice to 